Today on the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, we're speaking with Matt Lockhart from Magenic about business transformation, the pitfalls, benefits, and why it's so important for companies to stay on the cutting edge. Listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson, and today we're going to be tackling the topic of business transformation. It's one that shows up a lot in the press. Uh, We're hearing a lot of people talk about it. Many of us probably know organizations that are undergoing or tackling these types of transformative initiatives, and it's not necessarily an easy thing to accomplish, especially when really to stay competitive today, you have to instill that uh, acceptance of change and transformation into the DNA of the company. We're lucky enough to have with us Matt Locke. Lockhart, an executive from Magenic, who's going to talk to us about how he's been enabling companies and Magenic has been enabling companies to do transformation uh, in a successful way. Uh, we spent some time talking about you know, what really is transformation, why the market and the, and the industry has changed a bit, and the need for it to be part of the DNA is so critical. Um, so without further ado, we're going to jump right into the interview with Matt. Matt, thanks for taking the time and welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Chad. Uh, so we have a standard question we ask every guest but at the beginning of the show to talk about, uh, get to know you a little bit better and talk about kind of a defining moment in your life or career that uh, either you know changed the trajectory of where you were headed or gave you a lesson you learned from. We'd love to have you share that with the guests so we get a better sense of who you are and, and where you came from and where you're headed. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's a it's a little bit of a tough one because there's been a few, but uh, and and we'll focus on the defining uh, a defining moment in career on the life side. I've got uh, four daughters, so you can imagine oh, the, yeah. you can imagine what uh, what what defines that. Life. <laughs> uh, you know, on the career side, so I've been with this firm for you know over two decades, right? And and as you can imagine, I've seen quite a bit of change. And one of the things that was, you know, really distinct is, is we had this sort of very distributed, uh, regional model where it was almost as low. We had sort of kind of franchisee organizations out and about around the country. And as a, a, a really a need to, to change, to, adapt to what our customers were looking for, you know, we really needed to get people working together in much more of a common and centralized uh, um, model. And that included the development of, of some services that um, our, our regional branches needed to take hold of. And so, you know, changing where everybody was, you know, kind of was able to do a little bit of their own thing to much more of a uh, common structured and value driven model was, uh, was, was kind of one of those defining moments. Uh, excellent. And so for our listeners, can you give them a little bit of uh, background on Magenic and, and your role there? Sure. So we are a uh, professional services firm that is focused on, you know, driving uh, really disruptive and transformational technology solutions. Uh, You know, so you can think of all of the new customer experiences that are being driven out out of mobile platforms and or common mobile to web platforms. And those are the things that, that we help our customers 
um, envision and and think about and dream about and then you know bring to reality. <laughs> and your and, role in the organization? Yeah. So I, you know, I again, I've been with the firm since we were all of you know about eight people, and we've got around a thousand people now. And um, you know, my role has always been involved in in the growth of the business, either in you know growing markets and or growing capabilities. Uh, currently, my role is the vice president of strategy and business development. Excellent. Excellent. And today we wanted to focus on transformation, creating a transformation uh, culture, you know, how it happens and, wh- and really what the business results can be. It's, it's a big topic these days, right? And there's no lack of approaches to it, but I'd love to get your kind of definition and context of it for our listeners before we dive deeper. Yeah, you know, there, I'm sure all of all of us have been reading and seeing and in the press and or the trade trade regs that you know everything is all about transformation, as though this is a as though this is a new subject, and it's not. <laughs> you know, change, change is perpetual. Um, you know, I think that uh, what what we have seen uh, more recently in the last well, shoot, probably the last decade is the pace of change. And the pace of transformation is really going faster than ever, right? And it, and it is driven by our our digital culture and, you know, by customers' demand of advancement and in the services and, and how we all interact. Um, you know, there's an immediacy of things. And, um, and you know, if, if you don't have the, the sort of the, the next greatest experience, or at least shoot an experience that is, that is on par with somebody else. It's so easy to change to, uh, you know, for, for customers to change who they're working with. And so that is really, um, driven this need to, for organizations to understand that, boy, you can't, you know, sort of set it and forget it anymore. <laughs> You're constantly evolving. And those, those organizations that are, are, you know, improving at that and improving their capabilities around transforming, um, are those organizations that are winning today. Well, and you said, you know, it seems like everybody talks about it like it's something new, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, something that's been going on forever. I'm curious though, have you noticed that it seems like things like customers want to move faster than they did before? And is that if like, I'm getting older, I'm, I won't say anything. You're a guest. I won't say anything. <laughs> I'm getting older. We've been doing this a while. I'm noticing that perhaps my perception of time is different and it just feels like uh, customers want to move so fast that they're not paying attention to the basics is that something you're seeing as well well i think so i you know i think that you know one of the other perspectives is that you know change and transformation um in the past was more of an inside out, right? Mentality. It's like somebody, you know, from the inside recognized. And and now it's much more of an outside in where customers are demanding um, that, that transformation and they're demanding it now. And so that is, that is putting uh, a different kind of time pressure on things. Now, um, if it's reactionary, you know, that's where those, you know, decisions that, you know, sometimes are questionable and or, <laughs> um, you know, they need to go back in and 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 rethink them occur. If if change is accepted and transformation is accepted as a as a this sort of ongoing paradigm, you know, then I think it can be managed and those decisions are um, 
you know, are better met to, to the customer demand as well as the, as the, the organization's ability to, um, to succeed. And as, and as we were prepping for the show and talking about the, the transformation and where it starts, um, you know, you mentioned really needing to understand the motivation to change as kind of the starting point. In your experience, what are some of the largest motivators you're seeing today for organizations to change it? And are they aware of, of their own motivations to change or is it more reactionary than anything else? Hmm. Well, I, I, I personally see both, right? There, <laughs> there's um, both positive as well as kind of negative incentives. Um, there's the fear. Wow, I'm really in trouble and I'm losing market share or I'm losing customers or et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, sometimes what we see is, is in, in, in some senses kind of that irrational um, fear where they're going, well, you know, look at what happened to Blockbuster. They got <laughs> disrupted and we could get disrupted too like that. Yet they, they, yet they really haven't gone out to the market and to their customers to understand what they want. Right. Um, and then there's the, the sort of more positive things where those firms that have gotten closer to their customers, they, they're better understanding the experience. They're, they're accepting the fact that, um, you know, there's limitations that exist currently, but there's a, you know, there's a roadmaps and opportunities to, to, uh, transform and, and really take hold of the values that they've built up the foundational capabilities and values that they have and, and have a nice, you know, long run. And, and, and we've seen, I mean, both of us have seen those transformation initiatives, you know, fail. A lot of them, you know, struggle to break down those silos or get closer to the customer. I'm curious in the work that you guys have done, have you seen any early key indicators for those types of initiatives that might indicate larger chance of long-term success? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Chad, I'm sure you've seen, we all see the kind of trade rags and or the, the analyst and, and, you know, Gartner had this term, the bimodal organization, right. Right. right? And yet, yet, you know, truly there is a need for vision and, and obviously funding and et cetera, et cetera, which are really, you know, kind of top level executive, um, responsibilities. But what I've seen is that until you see the movement in that sort of grassroots movement, uh, some would say it's the volunteers that right. really drive change because everybody's, you know, got their day job <laughs> and or and or everybody's comfortable doing the things that they're doing today. And or they they see what they how they are, or, um, you know, what their firm's values are. It's been just fine. But until people sort of get out on, you know, get out on their skis a little bit and and get comfortable with trying things that are new. Um, and what we've seen is, is that's really happens at that grassroots level. And so when when you see people starting to kind of look around the corner and going, hey, what's going on there? And I've got some thoughts. And have you guys thought of doing this? And that really happens at that grassroots level. And when you see those things happening, that is, uh, you know, that's a real positive indication that you're 
that you're down the track. So organizations have to be able to, to get the, the entire entity over time to, to embrace change, right? To, to be willing to do it. Everybody's scared to death of it. So I'm curious at an organizational level, have you seen things that, that companies are doing that are effective at helping the organization as a whole embrace change? Or is it really that dichotomy of we've got the funding and the vision and now we just need some volunteers to kind of get the momentum going? Well, I think that there needs to be a recognition that it's that, you know, it's hard, right, that uh, that there is failure, you, you know, you, that common term of, you know, fail fast. Um, but it, it, there is some level of truth to it where you got to recognize that uh, enabling this sort of organic transformation um, means that you're not quite exactly sure of the path that you're going to be on. Right? I mean, it's going to, there's going to be some bumps and there's going to be some winds and, and, and being okay with that. And, and, you know, I think that there, another piece is, is your, you know, the investment and in, there's clearly investment in, in dollars that enable it, but there needs to be an investment in time you know, and time equals money as well, um, where you're giving people the opportunity and you're giving them some space to try things out. Now, you know, I had the opportunity to chat with uh, an individual who was responsible for transformation at an organization. You know, as I mentioned, we're a thousand people and, you know, I find it hard enough within our organization, <laughs> but um, he's, you know, he's driving change across an organization that is literally hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, that blew my mind. And I'm like, what in the world? How, how isn't, how don't you, you know, roll up into a ball and start crying <laughs> when you think about that? And he said, look, it happens, you know, one piece at a time. So you take one team and then the next team and the next team and the next team. And so I think that you've got to break things up, right? And, and some parts of the organization aren't going to be ready and some functions really don't need a level of change, but others, you know, others do. And, and if that means creating, you know, transformation groups or innovation groups to, to sort of light the fire, then, you know, that'd be one thing. And, or, um, you, you just, you know, give more, you know, some, some groups and teams more freedom than others. Yeah. And, and we were talking about, you know, constant intellectual curiosity and curiosity is extremely powerful. I don't, I don't know if there was a report that came out, a study that showed curiosity is the, the biggest thing that the human brain has to resolve. And it's why you get, um, I don't know what you guys call them in Minnesota, but looky lose on the highway. So if there's a nasty accident <laughs> on the other side of the road, you, you know, you have the potential to see some really horrible things, but your brain can't help but force you to look. And on an individual level, we, we tap into that in sales, but at a, at an organizational level, how do you, how do you instill that curiosity? Is it literally one team at a time and then you instill it? How do you maintain it? Have you seen ways that organizations or people are being effective at that? Yeah, boy, I, you know, I think that if you could, uh, if you could bottle that, Chad, you'd, <laughs> you'd really be on to something because I think that's challenging, right? Is this, you know, individually, we all have a different sort of level of individual intellectual curiosity, but, you know, I think that's a leadership thing, really. I mean, you know, if leaders demonstrate that intellectual curiosity and, and, and they're, they're then celebrating it. Um, and you sort of see that propagated. Yeah. I mean, you know, as we were preparing, uh, as I, excuse me, as I was preparing for, you know, our chat today, I just came across this, you know, something from McKinsey. You know, there's, there is no lack of an opportunity to learn. Um, but, 
and you know really propagating the that mentality of hey look you know i want you to be smarter than me as a matter of fact you are smarter than me right so don't look to me you tell me right. you know and because those those people that are closest you know closer to customers um and and sort of see those opportunities to increase value or do something better that is going to uh create a better experience those are your those are your opportunities for innovation and uh you know learning from them is 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 really some magic and it's one of those things that i've i've always struggled with when we work with clients or you know teach sales sales teams that concept of that continual self-improvement right that i don't i don't typically call it curiosity in class but that's what we're talking about it's like you, you need to constantly be learning uh, in order to be able to engage with your buyers in the right way to bring value to the conversation that takes time it takes it takes an awareness and a willingness to do it and i just see so many sales reps that don't do it they fall back to hey this is a service we provide or these of the features and functions it's like take you know take some time understand how the entire landscape is going keep educating yourself uh and i just i don't know how you instill that in the in the sales team i think the leadership angle is a great one uh maybe i should end up spending more time with the sales leadership than than i have been uh, but when we look at transformation we've been looking at the organizational level let's look at just sales and marketing for a second sure absolutely the the buyer landscape's changed you know this we've talked about this before right it's just gotten it's gotten a little more demanding especially in b2b because they're bringing their B2C expectations to the B2B buying process, right? And they demand value. They want to be collaborated with. And so what when it comes to just sales transformation or marketing transformation, are the hurdles for that specific type of organization different from your perspective than, say, the global organizational hurdles? Um, and if, they're, if they are different, you know, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, th I think that it is probably um, more challenging because, you know, you're dealing, um, you're really needing to align a greater group of stakeholders. And if it's in the context of transformation and change, right, and and working differently and or meeting customers differently, then you've got a, a bigger group of stakeholders who who really have their ideas in mind. And you're needing to meet those stakeholders with your own organizations, you know, stakeholders. And so there's just a greater degree of adaptability, you know, that that is needed. And I think that going back to you know, sort of that last subject that we were talking about and you go, well, how do you meet that? Well, you got to know your customers better than ever. Right. And you got And that takes that again. That's that uptick in curiosity. Right. That that can give, you know, an individual salesperson the leg up over somebody else. Right. So, you know, if they know that customers, how they think, right, how they you know, how they have thought traditionally, you know, what their you know, what their values and or gaps are in the marketplace. Well, they're in a much better position to facilitate a discussion. And it's not you know, we know this, Chad, it's not. You know, it's not pitching and praying. It's you know, it's not it's not it's not throwing up on a whiteboard that succeeds anymore, right? right? It is. It's facilitating a discussion and being part of that discussion, and and then having values, right? And you know, value either from services or products that that are um, you know part and parcel to that discussion. I'm totally stealing the the pitch and pray. I've I hadn't heard that 
in a very long time. So I'm, I'm going to bring that one back. That, I, yeah, that there you hey, it still holds true, right? It does. It does. I mean, you see a lot of sales reps and sales, you know, revenue execs are all about the now because that's, you know, they're on the numbers. They got quotas, they got to hit. And some of this is a little bit more nuanced, I think, than it used to be just because of the education level of the customers. And it, I don't know, you know, I've seen a lot of sales reps and a lot of marketing people fall back on, well, hey, I know I drank the Kool-Aid when I did my onboarding and I love the company I work for and everybody should love it. And that switch to, you know, really trying to look at things from the buyer's perspective, you know, sales reps have been struggling with this for years. And I think today it becomes even more critical um, in order to have that type of collaborative interaction with your customers. And I'm not 100% sure that most sales execs have totally embraced that or realized um, you know, realize the importance of that. You still see kind of that sprint for the goal line type of mentality, which yes, we got to produce the numbers. That's what sales is there for. But I think the way it happens and if they really want to get transformative in their sales organizations, they're going to have to look at the way their organization is perceived by the buyers they're interacting with. Is that fair perspective? Oh, I think so. I mean, I, you know, it's great. And we, you know, we love our, our team members who have, um, you know, a great deal, you know, spirit and passion for our capabilities. And, you know, that's, that's critical, right? Cause you got to get up and, and still hear a lot of no's every day. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the deal. Um, but combining, you know, we, we talk a little bit internally about, you know, working with those customers that get it right. That get up, that get us and right. we get them and, and you see the opportunity and, and, you know, obviously in a services organization, I think that's, that's inherently more valuable because, you know, ultimately it's a, you're, you're creating value out of intangibles and, uh, and so, you know, building those bridges with, uh, with customers where their shared values, where their shared vision, well, in order to, in order to see that, boy, you're, you better increase your collaborative game and, and, and increase your investment in your customers so that, so that you can help them see, right, that, uh, that there's an opportunity to, to create, you know, really cool things through the combination of, you know, your values and theirs. Imagine your board sets a target of 20% revenue growth in 18 months. So something will have to change with your sales team. How do you beat your target? Value Prime Solutions can help ensure your managers and reps are leveraging a sales framework that focuses on value, not price. Don't assume you have it all figured out. Don't wait until it's too late. Visit valueprimesolutions.com and let them help. Alignment is critical. I think even internally, you know, as they're working on transformation, breaking down those silos and creating creating better alignment internally. And I think it's just as critical to create it uh, with the customers. Now, at, at Magenic, you guys have, have you've been growing. You have a great reputation, especially in a market. You know, I spent the last 10 years in that market, especially in a market that was going through consolidation and all types of things. So I'm kind of curious, what strategies and tactics have you developed or found that you would advise other revenue executives to employ? to inspire the type of uh, sales behavior and change that, that has been successful for you guys at Magenic? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is, is you know, um, having a healthy sense of paranoia that, <laughs> that, that you are, you're, you're always falling behind. 
right, in terms of your capabilities and or your approaches with customers. And um, and and so, you know, constantly, you know, looking for opportunities to improve. And, um, you know, that can be in your service models that can be in your capabilities that can be in your products, right. For product development firms, you know, they are, they have been constantly improving, you know, and those that don't, uh, go away. And so, um, you know, I think that the key for, for, you know, revenue executives is, is to recognize that they've got a role in that. Right. Again, because they're closest to the customers and, you know, those revenue executives that that recognize that that change piece is hard right? <laughs> and and invest in it. Right. And and really, you know, make that part of their problem um, are, are, you know, are the most successful. And those that that kind of are always looking back and going, where's my new stuff? Right. What do you you know? Hey, I don't have something, you know, then, you know, they're not they're not buying into um, that their opportunity to, to affect transformation. And, and just out of curiosity. So we've seen, I, I was, I was talking to uh, Gabe Larson from inside sales and we were talking about the rise, kind of the rise of the CRO role and how it seems to be kind of a combination of that sales and marketing in an attempt to, I don't know, understand or get closer to the buyer and infuse that inside of their organizations. I'd be real curious to hear your take on that role, that chief revenue officer role and kind of where you've seen it be the most successful and, and what it looks like. Well, other than, you know, us sales guys traditionally have, a hard, have had a hard time with uh, anything called chief, right? Right. And, you know, so I think that, you know, there's always that, that drive. But no, I mean, it, it, you know, that traditional um, uh, challenge or, or sort of gap between sales and marketing is, has always existed, right? Because there's the human factor, right, of, right. of, of sales that, that really needs to be taken into account. And, you know, the greatest product or service with the greatest message, if, if, if you can't enable that connection between, you know, that salesperson or the revenue individual and the customer, um, if that connection can't happen, even though it's the greatest product and service with the greatest message, well, you know, then it's all for naught. Right. So, so it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's sort of bringing into the day-to-day -day reality that, you know, it's, it's, it is a tough job to sell. It, it's a tougher job now to sell in technology and services than, than I think it ever has been. And, uh, you know, bringing that human factor, is, I think is a, a key opportunity of that chief revenue officer. Excellent. So, so let's pivot here a little bit and talk more, a little bit more specifically about Magenic. Can you help our audience understand, cause you guys are a large services organization, how you guys have effectively structured the sales and marketing team? Yeah, sure. I mean, so, you know, um, like, like many, we've got our, our feet on the street within our re regional sales organizations and, and, you know, sales and, you know, what we call our delivery leadership organization. So these are, these are all the individuals who are closest to customers. Um, and so, you know, we've got our, our senior account executives that are out in, in our, you know, field regional locations, and then they're supported by an, an inside, you know, sales and support organization that is able to walk, you know, work across the, um, you know, across our, our target markets and, 
and, you know, where there's heat and or driving campaigns and or, you know, if if some organizations need a little bit more assistance, they're there to, you know, back up and support them. And and then, you know, constantly looking to evolve those channels that the that the sales organizations are able to work through either, you know, partner channels and or, you know, sort of strategic marketing channels. Excellent. And as you guys continue to focus on growth for Magenic, what would you say uh, end of this year and going into 2018 is your largest business issue? Um, well, I think that it's uh, it's it's well, a lot of the things that we've talked about, um, but it, time, right, is, is I think and for us and for for many um, firms, that's the that's the biggest challenge where to go fast and, you know, really put, you know, put the pedal to the metal and, and where not to, right? Because your investments, um, aren't equal in, in different areas. And so I think that managing, managing that, that transformation, um, and, and the time that's necessary, uh, I think those are, those are some of the biggest things that, that we continue to work on. And, and when you look back over the last, say, 12 to 18 months, and I mean, because, you know, we've talked about this before, it's a constant change. It's a constant evolution. Um, but when you look back at the organization over the last 12 to 18 months, what are you the most proud of that Magenic has been able to accomplish or or achieve in that time? You know, I, it, it's I've again, I've been with the firm for 21 years and it's it's the same answer. Uh, you could you could have asked me this 18 years ago and, <laughs> and it was, you know, we had a distinct opportunity where, um, you know, we were, you know, we were really looked at by the customer to to think about how they could be different in their marketplace. And, you know, we went through some innovation cycles and, and we really, um, enabled the company to look and see themselves differently, you know, not in their products differently and uh, to, to their customers. And, you know, I can remember, you know, one of our team members, um, he she passed along an email in which the customer said, look, you know, I view you guys as a partner in my organization. And so to see the, the, you know, the eyes, you know, go wide, you know, with our customers and with our team members, um, you know, working together and having, having a great time and, you know, doing some great things. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Excellent. And totally off the wall question, just based on something that jogged my memory here. Do you guys ever do um, competitive win loss, like have an outside firm uh, call your customers that you've won and, and interview them or the customers that you've lost uh, to get kind of that unbiased third party collection of information? Is that something you guys have ever engaged in? Yeah, we have. You know, we've. Um quite honestly, we probably don't do it enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you because know, I think that this is something that could be done, you know, really every year because you learn so much. Um, but we probably, uh, it's, it's probably every three years or so 
that we do it. And, and, and I do think that it's really important to get that outsider involved. Um, so you're, you're sort of getting that independent, unbiased, you know, feedback. And, um, you know, the last time that we did, we, you, there were some things that hurt a little bit, right? Because how <laughs> we viewed ourselves and how, you know, some of, some of our customers viewed us was, was a little different. And, and it really did set up the, the opportunity for us to, to then go, okay, well, Hey, you know, we can make improvements. We can, you know, we can, we can be better and we can be different. And, and that doesn't mean that what we're doing today is bad. Because what we're doing today is great, but you can always, you can always approach your customers in a better fashion and or do more for them. And I think that's what you really learn. Um, and it, you know, forces, uh, you know, forces the, the leaders and the executives to, you know, to be open and, um, and really can, I think what we've seen is that it really does spark that, that opportunity for transformation. Yeah, it was always such an interesting tool uh, when I was running sales teams, especially, I mean, the organization as a whole, you, you'd have some execs that would, would believe what they were reading or, or hearing and some that would, you know, not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Differing levels of, of, uh, of violence in their reaction, <laughs> depending on what was being said. But it became one of the most effective tools in debriefing sales reps that had lost deals. And you're right, it's uncomfortable. I remember the first time I went through one. It's not fun. I mean, you're, you're just you're basically getting told everything you did wrong. And if you're not in the right mindset to accept that and, and internalize that and then implement the behavioral change as an individual, you know, you, you're, not, you're given an opportunity to succeed here with the feedback. And, and if you can approach it the right way, I think it can really contribute to success. I just curious if you, it was curious if you guys had run into that or used it before. So I appreciate. Yeah. Well, and it, and enables, if you don't enable that, that sort of culture of, of openness, right. And, acceptance yeah. <laughs> and, and none of us has all of this, you know, completely figured out, then, you know, then it can be kind of an ugly thing, but I don't know what you've seen. Um, the other side to the, that is, is that there's a, there's a, there's a number of team members, you know, once the reports come in and they kind of look back and they go, I told you so <laughs> I've been yeah. telling you this for a little while. Yeah. So it's yeah. fun to see that as well. It's like any relationship, you know, my wife's always like, so I just told you that for three weeks and you weren't listening to me and you asked your buddy. And now all of a sudden it's real. <laughs> yeah. You say, you, you told me what? How yeah. You, what? I wasn't. Uh, oh, so yeah. now we're back to talking about my selective listening. Okay. Yeah, got exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's change direction a little bit here. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each show. And the first is simply that you are, uh, as a revenue executive, you are not to put to find a point on it, but you're a target, you're a prospect for sales professionals. And we spend a lot of time working with companies to help them be able to get in front of people like yourself to sell their things. So I'm curious when somebody's trying to sell to you, somebody that you don't know, and they're trying to get your attention, build credibility, what grabs your attention? What helps them build that credibility and, and perhaps get that first meeting? Well, I don't know about you, Chad, but for me, that relationship thing, uh, you know, uh, that really matters. And so um, because we, you know, we do get hit a lot right? and we get hit, we're getting hit from all directions. Sure. And so, you know, we get really good at putting that filter on and going, <laughs> well, none of this matters. Right. But when, uh, you know, when a friend or a, a trusted associate or a colleague says, hey, Matt, you know, I know you well enough to, to know that this, this is something that you might want to give, 
you know, 10 minutes to, um, boy, that, that really does matter. And so finding, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, one of those maze games and, and finding the path where, you know, you can build, build that relationship, you know, through somebody or through a connection. I think that at least for me, that's, uh, that's really important. Excellent. Excellent. And so last question we ask is for an acceleration insight. So if you're thinking about sales and marketing professionals, you could give them one piece of advice that you think would make them more effective, more able to hit their targets uh, and succeed. What would that be and why? Well, I mean, I think that, um, I, you know, I personally, we talked about this, I think when we were together last year that you can't, you can't teach hard work and that's always got to be there. (laughs) But, um, if you incorporate some of that, that constant learning and, you know, and the, the one thing that I would encourage is, is boy, read something new every day read one new thing every day. It doesn't take long. Um, you know, get up in the morning, spend 10 minutes, read something new, and then, you know, write a note or two about it. Right. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, part of you and part of your, uh, repertoire and, and you're more insightful, you're more interesting and more people are going to want to spend time with you. Perfect. Matt, if a listener's interested in talking more about the topics we touched on today, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. And love to, you know, I, 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 I'm in constant learning and that comes, you know, more through people and dialogues like this than, than anything else. But, uh, you know, Matt L M A T T L at Magenic M A G E N I C.com. Excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough for the time today. It's been great having you on the show. Hey, really appreciate the opportunity, Chad. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with your friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, drop us a review on iTunes. We do use those to determine what types of guests we bring on for you guys to listen to. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.